Well, Patty, I really enjoyed our conversation today with Danny McHale, as always an interesting interviewee uh, about yes. uh, Zusa and Omnichannel dual pricing. Yeah, I thought that he, you know, he had some really good insights. And I really like the way you followed up with your questions from the field, because I think those two Thank you. dovetailed perfectly. Um, yeah. Would you like to tell everybody about that? Because I, I would, it, yeah. It, you yeah. know, it's just interesting to me. You know, I mentioned a while back a survey that I did with all these agents and everybody right. liked dual pricing better. But we see a lot of the ISOs that are still a little hesitant. And a lot of it has to do with the transparency of dual pricing and how that can maybe work against you in some ways mm -hmm. if you handle it wrong. So I just talk about that and kind of how to handle it correctly. Uh, and then, Patty, yours, uh, your insiders, they covered a very hot topic. And so talk about that a little bit. Talk about handling things correctly. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is how not to handle things because it really isn't correct in our esteemed opinion. But yeah. if the FTC has come down on MasterCard over debit card routing, and it's a really interesting order um, complaint. Uh, James and I talk about, I think you'll really get some insights out of that. And of course, uh, this episode is brought to you by ISOAMP. And uh, you can visit getisoamp.com and uh, learn more about it. And we'll talk some more about it during uh, our intermission. So what do you say, James? Should we get going on this episode? Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey everybody, Patty and I are here today with our good friend Danny McHill, CEO and president over at Zusa. How are you doing today, Danny? Good, James. How are you and Patty doing? Doing well. I'm doing great. We're excited. Yep. We're uh, I guess by the time this airs, we're already going to be probably into February, but uh, at the time of this recording, we're kind of just getting into the new year, so it's an exciting time. Um, so Danny, you've been on a lot. You know, I don't need the full backstory on you. I think our audience knows you pretty well. Um, give us the update on Zusa. Like, what's exciting? What's new? What's happening? Man, we have a lot going on, James. Uh, quite honestly, we're pretty excited to announce our new 5.0 version that is a complete UI, UX, rewrite, remake of the entire platform from A to Z. Wow. Uh, we spent all of 2022 doing that. Uh, one of the newest and hottest features that's catching the industry by storm is, I, I, you know, we're announcing on this show the new uh, Zusa Marketplace what that is, James, is a lot of our partners, as you know, we have over 200 white label resellers today out there actively selling Zusa. And one of the benefits of the app marketplace is now on top of selling their own white label solution, their own product, they have this entire list of features and apps such as Marketing Pro, QuickBooks integration. Uh, uh, we've got an e-gift card program called Prolific e-gift. Uh, the list goes on and on, and they could take the, these additional apps and services and sell it as their own under their umbrella, and 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 just as important, monetize it. So unlike some of the other app stores out there where you're allowed to sell their apps and then get nothing out of it, you can actually determine what you want to sell each app for, monetize it, and sell it to your merchants. It's unlike anything else in the industry today, quite honestly. So pretty excited about that. That's pretty cool. Um, I know that James and I wanted to talk about pricing today. So maybe if we can start start off by um, talking about dual pricing, because that's like a really hot topic, as we all know. It is. Um, and I know there are, there are plenty of different uh, dual pricing options out there in the marketplace. But I was hoping maybe you could speak to our audience about um, omni-channel dual pricing and why that's so important moving forward. Yeah. So obviously, thank you, Patty. Great question. Um, with, with the Zusa product line, our, our business model has always been to give our partners and the merchants a true omni-channel opportunity to grow their business. So whether they want to sell on the run, sell in a brick and mortar online, 
via invoicing, recurring. To us, it doesn't matter. We want to help that merchant capture that payment, which in essence helps our partners capture that payment and grow their revenues. Uh, dual pricing, cash discounting, non-cash adjustment, whatever, you, you know, we've got all of them available on our uh, super app, Patty. Uh-huh. So we allow our partners to pick what they want to pick apply it to the merchant because we all know one size doesn't fit all. Right. Uh, but dual pricing right now is a very hot topic. Uh, we probably get asked it three, four times a week. And it's something that we've developed. We think we've perfected it from our perspective. From what, at least we've heard the card brands want to see. And according to a lot of different compliance officers that we've talked to from various large organizations, we feel like we've built a product that we can be proud of and our partners can be proud of. Mm -hmm. So Danny, I love that you brought that up because, you know, in my mind, dual pricing and compliance are always kind of part of this overlapping conversation. Um, And I was really interested when you told me kind of the way you implemented dual pricing. So I think our, even some of our uh, audience members that maybe are involved in the POS world or ISB and, and looking at these different options might find it interesting. So talk about that a little bit. How did, how did you set this up as far as the way it displays in the inside the device and then on you know, the receipt, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, obviously the, the, one of the, one of the benefits of dual pricing is the customer is never caught off guard. Right. So whether you're buying a cup of coffee and on our receipts, at least it shows a dollar for a cup of coffee if you're paying cash. Dollar ten, whatever. Uh, if you're paying card, right, and it itemizes it all the way down the list. So I don't care if you're buying a salad, a pizza, a coffee. We literally have a cash card price all the way through, and then on our uh, smart terminals, uh, pretty pretty similar. It will also show you a cash and card option, so you can pick it. So for our our philosophy with dual pricing is at least talking to some of the card brands and and, and what we're seeing out there. They don't want the customer surprised at checkout Mm -hmm. uh, from what we're hearing. So with us, there is no uh, bait and switch sort of approach. It's, you know what the card price is on every single item, as well as a cash price. And then you select it at checkout. We don't care if you're using the customer display or a smart terminal or heck, even your iPhone. It will show you all the options and you select at the end. Uh, That's the the same if you're online as well, Danny. Yeah, online, the regulation from what we've seen, it hasn't caught up. We do have it. We yeah, do that's have, what I was wondering. Yeah, we do have the code written. We haven't released it. And and okay. online, what we've done is we're still doing what we call non, uh, I'm sorry, online convenience fee. Okay. Right. So we have that option. But if the merchant wants to show both prices, cash and credit, they can do that as well on our, okay. assuming they're using our online ordering. Right. Mm-hmm. They're using our online, our, our in-house online ordering tool. We can show a card and cash price all the way down. Okay, the cool. So yeah. what, are the, what are the other things, Danny, I think that layers on top of this that I, I found interesting was your app store, because um, you and I have talked about this many times there, you know, we'll, I'll leave them nameless, but there are other solutions out there with app stores, obviously. And one of some of the, con, you know, concerns or issues there is that, you have all these different developers developing things. They don't necessarily talk to each other very well. And then you layer on top of that a, a concept like dual pricing, right? That's got to be kind of seamless. Talk about your approach to the app store kind of in general. And then maybe you could give a little more specifics about maybe how dual pricing and these other op- pricing options kind of fit into that narrative. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our our app stores, like I said earlier on the call, it's, it's unlike anything in the industry. Um, we don't have the, our approach to it is we need control of the app store. We don't want bugs in the app store. Our All the code is under one umbrella, James. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, so the way we've designed and the way we've built it is a, uh, it has to be accepted by our partners. They can mark up, mark down the price, and then give it out for free. It doesn't matter. We sell to them; they sell to the merchant. So that's one big difference: is mm-hmm. we're not, we don't, we don't sell to the merchant directly. We work through our partners to the merchant, and that's caught uh, our partners' attention. They love the way we uh, approach it, and like I said, they can monetize it. The other big difference, James, between our app store and a lot of the competing products out there is we don't allow just anybody to go into the app store. For us, we have a very strict policy on bugs and downtime. If something doesn't meet our standards, we have to boot them out. Uh, and, and you know, again, I can't mention some of the companies out there, but some of the horror stories we've heard of escalation tickets going five, six, seven weeks between three or four or five apps not working properly that will never happen here at Zusa. It can't happen here. Um, have there been many that you've had a boot off? We haven't. And and most of the apps, either A, we own, or B, they're partners that we vetted, and they mm-hmm. meet our standards of uh, where our development team needs to be. So we don't have a quote-unquote open API for just anybody to tie into. Right. Uh, we have a, a, a different process and a different way we approach it, Patty and James. Okay. Okay. So in regards, yeah, and I'm sorry. And the last question, in regards to QuickBooks, um, you know, that's going to be my next question. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I know James mentioned that Um, in regards to QuickBooks with dual pricing, we just do a consolidated total sales, James, and then we reflect it back to QuickBooks. So, so QuickBooks from our perspective, doesn't really care if they select a cash or credit, right? Right. Uh, QuickBooks just wants to know what they sold the for, the price, the item, whatever. We do a consolidated total sales and it automatically uh, posts to QuickBooks. Merchant doesn't have to do anything because we've got a direct plugin to a QuickBooks cloud with Zusa. Yeah. There's no manual entry with us, if if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, You know, one last thought I had on the, um, you know, uh, App Store is I know your big claim to fame is the white label. Well, you know, and you kind of alluded to it a second ago about how you don't go direct to the merchant, but how does that work exactly as far as the branding and everything of the app store with your um, ISOs and stuff that white label? None of the apps are branded Zusa. So they're third party names or brands. Um, and, And we are working with a couple of our partners that are developing their own apps that we could also put in there. So we do allow some of our white label partners to develop some apps to put in our app store. Again, it has to meet our standard. Right. Um, That's one. Two, it can't be a competing product to anything we currently have, or B, or C, I should say. Uh, it can't, you know, it can't infringe or compete upon any of our current partners' current products. So we have a very strict guideline that that rules out a lot of people. Um, yeah. But they're not branded Zusa. They're, you know, they're. So what you're saying? Do your, your partners have some kind of a special link that's like? their version of the app store that a merchant can go to, to find the app. No, that they want no, there's only it? one version of the app store, but, but none of those apps are branded around any kind of competing product to our partners. Oh, I We're see. Okay. Strict on. It's like, you know, you can't put a surcharging app in there because we already have a surcharging cash discounting app. And more importantly, we don't want another process or putting something in there that our partners. I are see. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's a good point. I mean, I actually know uh, several, um, you know, app store kind of concepts in the industry where there's like, you know, 12, 15 different cash discount type apps. And there's a, it gets to be a lot of confusion. Even in our uh, Facebook group, we get a lot of people saying, you know, can I, should I use this one? Should I use that one? Mm-hmm. This one has, the, you know, 
And so I think that does get a little confusing. And we always start at Zuzu. We tell the resellers, we tell the ISOs, we tell the agents, we say, listen, with all due respect, we start with the merchant first. Right. Okay. Um, you know, and, and if and if it's causing problems for the merchant, we don't care you like it. We don't care we like it. It needs to go out. Right. right. So you have to keep uh, I've seen some app marketplaces out there, James. Honestly, I think you and I are semi-clever folks. I get lost. I'm like, what in the world? Where do I go here? And I'm, you know, you're yeah. searching. You're absolutely right. There's 72 gift card apps. Well, mm-hmm. the merchant doesn't need 72 gift card apps. They need one great one, right? Right. So, so our approach is, like I said, unfortunately, it, it rules a lot of other softwares out. Um, but I will tell you, um, there's a lot of unique softwares, individuals. That, we've got one group right now. They're out of Europe. They've got uh, patents and trademarks on all kinds of tech that no one in the U.S. has, and we will be the first one to offer it in our marketplace. So that's something that will take our partners and their sales team and give them a tool that I don't care who you are. uh, You don't have these tools if you're not working with this company that's publicly traded out of Europe. Hmm. Yeah. So Cool. Um, It's it's a different approach for sure. It, It works for a lot. It doesn't work for all. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. So I want to, let me circle back for just a minute to dual pricing. So, you know, now that you are offering that and you mentioned a lot of the interest in, I'm just kind of curious what you're seeing. Like, do you see, and and even talking about these other trends, cash, you know, it was the non-cash adjustment before this, and then it was the service fee and, you know, whatever, right? Like, how are you seeing that change the market specifically around point of sale? Are you seeing a different, are your partners going with a different approach? Are they maybe giving things away for free now that they weren't because of the increased margin? Like, what are the trends that you're seeing that you think are kind of resulting from these new pricing tactics? You know, first, I I will tell you, we still see quite a bit of people selling the old non-cash adjustment programs. Uh, I don't, you know, until I think the card brands kind of crack down a little harder on right. that, you're still going to see that. We have it depends who the organizations are. I would say some of our, you know, we do represent, I would say four or five of the super ISOs in the industry. They're probably top 15, you know, yeah. five of the top 15 ISOs. I, a lot of them are starting to go that dual pricing route just because right. it's more in line with uh, uh what the card brands are saying. But yeah. I hate to say it's a wild west out there, but we still see a little bit of everything yeah. uh, from the Zusa perspective. We still see the old cash discount, uh, credit card surcharge. I mean, we see a little bit of everything out there, but we are seeing a larger, it's going slower than we thought it would, but we are seeing more of a migration to the dual pricing. Uh, but, but you know, non-cash adjustments still, I would say, probably the most popular, but the dual pricing is, is you know, almost 50-50 per month now with us. Yeah, it's gaining, right? I mean, I think it's as gaining. more people are aware of it, it becomes sort of the next logical, the most logical approach, really. Yeah, I think, I mean, and again, just speaking openly, I think where the partners that don't like it is because it's more transparent. Mm -hmm. NAC, I feel like it's a little bit, you know, you get less questions about it. Let's put it like the the, the merchant's customer base asks less questions about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's just more upfront. I mean, that's what I think is most important about it is, it's upfront to the merchant. It's upfront to the consumer, uh, and and if it's transparent yeah. that way, then the card brands are going to be. The, the one word we heard from the card brands when we had a call a couple months ago was they don't want any customer surprises. Right, Perfect. that yeah. was the big yep. word we heard probably a couple times was we don't want anyone caught off guard, mm-hmm. and and I think that's why you're seeing them say, hey you know, start turning right here instead of left because right. 
Uh, that's that's kind of what we're seeing more of. Again, let's see what happens. Uh, and, right. and, and it also, I think, it's from the car brand's perspective, they don't want to see any surprises because they have enough problems in, right. in Washington as it is. Okay. They start getting <laughs> complaints from consumers. It, you know, those complaints are going to go to people like Dick Durbin as well as to Visa. And that's going to make the fight over the Credit Card Competition Act even worse. And I wish everybody did it the right way because we wouldn't be in this position. But I, I yeah. even the other day, I stopped at a Mexican restaurant here in downtown Phoenix. And, and if I tell you guys how these guys' cash discount program was set up, I was like, oh my goodness, this is exactly why uh, guys like James and, and, and folks like, and people like you, Patty, are slammed because right. I mean, you want to talk about what not to do? This was a uh-huh. perfect merchant. And whoever set these guys up, I mean, five, six percent. Yeah, yeah. I had a plumber that was like 10%. I'm like, do you realize that this is like unlawful? (laughs) I actually, Danny, I actually took a picture the other day and posted it in the group because I was at a pizza shop locally. And ironically, it was one of the only kind of, I was really good at selling the pizza shop chains. That was kind of my thing when I was selling. That was your thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this is like the only one I didn't sell. I tried and tried because it's like a franchise thing, you know, so it's hard to get everybody together. Yeah, I still go there and buy pizza, you know. But anyway, you can't say no to good pizza, Patty. That's right. It must be good pizza, Danny. (laughs) Yeah, so I drive up to the window, right? And uh, I can't remember the exact wording, but it basically like it literally said it had all the buzzwords that were just wrong. You know, it literally said (laughs) it said like something like, you know, it costs us more to accept cards. We're Uh adding a 4% fee to all debit and credit. We were adding a convenient 4% convenience fee to all debit and credit transactions at the point of sale. And I'm like, and they're like, but we do offer a 4% cash discount. And I was like, oh my. Oh my was, God. Mine, mine was I mean, worse. good pizza maybe, but not good business sense, right? <laughs> this was a great little, probably one of the best Mexican hole in the walls I've been to in a long time. Phenomenal food. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely yeah. going back, but it said something like, we'd rather have cash. So if you're going to pay us card, it's going to be an extra 5%. I'm like, I'm like who wrote this up? Like, yeah, <laughs> right. Well, the so, sad thing about the one I was at was you could tell it was one of the ones that like a some some ISO somewhere you sold know, it, gave it to them, provided them with this language. And this is like a 15 location, you know, 50,000 a month place. You know, uh, it was just like, what in the world? So anyway, but OK, so let's let's zoom out before we're done, Danny. And, you know, forget about dual pricing and, and all of that for a minute. And let's broaden the gaze for a minute where, you know, like I said, as we're recording this, we're kind of just coming in. What are we the, the 9th of January right now? It's time of this recording. What are the big trends that you're thinking about, Danny, just industry-wide, and how do you see that impacting agents and ISOs? You know, one of the big things, and and, and again, not to beat a dead horse, but it goes back to uh, our merchant base is very satisfied with the idea of the super app model, James. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and one of the big trends we're seeing is if merchants can have all the software they need under one roof, right, with one company, that's going to continue. I think yeah. you're going to start to see a lot of other software players out there. Um, even even one of the big the biggest one in the industry, they're even starting to recognize some of the stuff that you and I have been talking about over the years, and and that is merchants would rather deal with one 800 number, one right. software, right. one yep. company. Right. Uh, we we could I can confidently tell you we were shocked at when the App Store rolled out at the number of subscribers the first 30 days. I don't think any one of us forecasted or projected with with little to no marketing uh how many merchants like oh yeah i need this app i need that app um and and i don't want to use a third party to do marketing i don't want to use a third party to do gift cards loyalty whatever all under one roof so i see that continuing okay i see that continuing 
Um, I do see, I continue to see a lot of the larger software players um, entering our space. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, uh, finding a good group to, to hit your wagons to is going to be critical yeah. for a lot of ISO. I mean, you and I, James, we're, we're, and Patty, we're all dinosaurs in, in one way. I've been in the industry almost right. 20 years. Right. So going back to the trans 330 days where you're flinging brick and mortar terminals, um, you know, merchants are a lot more educated. I think what we're seeing is we're starting to see some of those merchants have been around for a long time, phase into retirement, some of the younger generation roll in mm-hmm. and start up new yeah. businesses. And quite honestly, I I at least predict a economic downturn in the next 12 to 24 months, um, along with many others. And that's a great time for people that maybe are out of work to start up a business, right? And it happened in 08, 09. Yeah. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot of new merchants entering the space. Mm-hmm. And these folks that are coming in are going to be looking for uh, the right solution. It's not just Zusa. There's other good softwares out there. I think we approach it a little bit differently than most. Um, so I think one of the big trends you'll see is um, more people looking for the right software and tools uh, to grow their merchant, uh, and I, grow their client base. I think your 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 comment about younger people also is really important here, Danny, because it's like, you know, it's not only that they're stepping in and taking over. But, you know, these are people that are, you know, kind of like we're fed, raised on the gig economy, right? So starting their own business is going to be really important because, you know, from the skill, I think, and I know a lot of these younger people, you know, they've developed a skill set. Now they're like, wait a minute, we can go in and we can start a company, you know, maybe even a payments company (laughs) and and bring a new a new approach. Agreed. And these are these are people that are going to be looking for omni-channel. Uh, they're going to be uh, looking a lot for of social, technology. you know, social media. You know, a, a, you know, sure. a lot of uh, new technology. You know, convenience. It's going to be key. And it's, it's how much time key. do you want? To, I always use this analogy to our partners, and whenever we have our partner calls, I say, "How much time does a merchant want to spend flipping between logins and apps?" Versus how much more, how much time would they, if we could save the average merchant 20 hours a month, 30 hours a month with one super app, what would that mean to them? Because I don't think you could put a monetary number to that. I don't think you could say, hey, this is worth X to me because that's time back to their, with their kids. That's time, you know, for me, I like being on the golf course on Fridays. That's time uh, doing other things you enjoy as opposed to you know, with us, it's one one reporting tool that reconciles everything. We don't care if it's your marketing, your gift, loyalty, time and attendance. It's all in one central dashboard. So so on average, I think we are saving merchants about 27, 28 hours a month. Uh, and and we're, we, we're bringing in a third-party company to actually help put some real numbers and reporting behind that uh, because we're here and create success stories. So to us, I think, I think especially the younger generations don't want to spend that much time in the business uh from what we're seeing it's different than uh the old days i would say so it's a different world it's definitely a different world yeah yeah love it yeah. good stuff well danny it's always such a pleasure to have you on uh before we let you go give our audience uh where they should go to learn more about zuza if they want to learn more about the white label or just partnering up with you guys Absolutely. Getzuza.com, G-E-T-Z-U-Z-A.com is a great place to start or email info at getzuza.com. Best two ways to get a hold of us. We'd love to talk to you guys and see if we're a good fit for each other. Awesome. Awesome. Danny, thank you so much as always for your insights and your time. Appreciate it. 
So, Patty, uh, the last three weeks, uh, I believe it's the last three weeks, uh, we've been talking about um, ISOAMP and the statement analysis service right. that I have, you know, poured my heart and soul and lots of money into. Um, which yes, is going, Ever since I've known you, James, you've been really... I know, like, I yeah. know. It's hard to believe, actually. If you'd have told me how long it was going to take and how much money it would take, I'm not sure I would have done it, but I did it. I'm not <laughs> yeah, going back now. Yeah, but I think now. you probably would have, but that's okay. Yeah, I probably would have. But anyway, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's, a the, it's, a, it's a passion. It's a work of passion. I just wanted to get the... I feel like I've spent so many hours trying to figure out the payments industry. I kind of wanted to get it out of my head and into a technology solution that that could benefit uh, the mm-hmm. industry. So anyway, today I want to talk about the training. So in addition to statement analysis, um, ISOAMP also part of the same technology suite. So when your agent logs in to use the statement analysis, the proposal generation, all that we've talked about, mm-hmm. um, they all you can also add the training. And so we have a fully white labeled portal. So your logo's up there again. It's the same system. They have the statement right. analysis and they have the training. The training is a separate subscription. It's it's funny when people hear how much it is, Patty. They they usually say, uh, is, that per, "Is that per user or is I that?" I know, right? You know, and <laughs> like I say, what? "No, you know, it's not." So um, we have it's a the really best cool deal platform. out there, James. I have to tell you, I I think I've it is checked a lot out, and I still think yours is the best deal out there. Well, thank you. So it's a big challenge in our industry: getting your agents trained, getting your mm-hmm. team trained. Not just your agents could be support, whoever. But right. you know, do you really want to spend three, four, five, ten hours with each new employee, helping them understand interchange, understand what car brand fees are, understanding dual pricing, understanding a processing statement, you know, mm-hmm. common objections, you know, all right. of that. We have like 30, uh, really like 38 hours or something like that of, of content in that portal uh, with a lot of different courses. Mm-hmm. So my team works with you. We customize it to your needs to say, hey, mm-hmm. what do you want your employees to go through? And it does include uh, the how to sell dual pricing, which goes along with this episode um, right. that I just put out not too long ago. Shot at my new studio, super professional, three and a half, four hours of content for somebody just coming into the industry that knows nothing. We uh-huh. take them from that all the way through to successfully selling dual pricing and giving them a script and objections and all of that. Uh, so anyway, if you're interested in that one, head over to ccsalespro.com slash training, which is where that lives right now. Uh, mm-hmm. We're actually moving that under the ISOAMP brand this year, but we're still working on redoing websites and all that. But if you want to learn more about that, go to ccsalespro.com slash training. And then if you want to learn about the uh, statement analysis business, and how to get that done, just head over to getisoamp.com, getisoamp.com. And I should just throw in that I did James's training. You know, I decided- oh, that's right, on, you, you did. Know, I did last year. I had done a few different trainings and then I did James. And I have to tell you that um, it was intense, <laughs> but it's so full of information. And, and you know, I'm, I'm the payments maven, you know? I mean, I know everything about payments, I thought. Um, you know, (laughs) selling payments is a whole different thing. And to me, I think the training is, you know, orders above of magnitude above anything else that's out there. So give it a shot. It's, uh, ISOAMP, get ISOAMP.com or ccsalespro.com slash training. Got it. Patty, thanks so much for the, uh, for the little testimonial there. I appreciate that. So let's get back to our episode. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field, with James Shepard. 
So, Patty, today in questions from the field, I wanted to kind of extend or continue the conversation we just had with Danny because um, I get a lot of questions uh, from agents and ISOs that are transitioning to dual pricing mm-hmm. and noticing what Danny brought up actually in the interview. So it's kind of interesting and ironic there. But this idea of we get more questions, the um, you know the 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 customer notices more right. you know, that sort of thing, and. You know, the the advice that I keep giving them, Patty, is that um, there is a certain amount of truth to this. Now, I will tell you for the vast majority of agents that I've talked to that are offering the dual pricing and things like that, they're not noticing a huge difference in 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 that, in the feedback, but they are getting a little bit more feedback. So I, I've always said that you're going to get, especially when you first roll it out, you're going to get one to 3% uh, mm-hmm. of the of the transactions you're going to get. At least noticing it. Yeah. Right. And um, I would say with dual pricing, you're definitely going closer to that 3% rather than the Mm -hmm. 1%. Um, But here's the thing. With non-cash adjustment, the reason you don't get a lot of questions is that people don't notice it usually until after they leave. That is not ideal because now instead of them asking the merchant a question, they are just filing a complaint with their bank and their Mm -hmm. bank is passing on the card brands. And this is why when you look at the larger companies that are doing the dual pricing, they're issues with compliance and visa, you know, letters and all that kind of drop off a cliff when they switch to dual pricing, because yes, it is true that the customer is asking the business owner more questions, but Mm -hmm. if those questions being answered in an honest way, they're not complaining to the card brands. Right. Exactly. And that's the real risk. So the one point I would make is, you know, if you switch to dual pricing, just understand that you need to do it right. Mm-hmm. And so it's not enough to just say, well, we're going to start doing dual pricing just like we did non-cash adjustment. And we're just going to like sell it to the merchants and hope for the best. You need to think through what is the onboarding process and what materials are you providing them? I, I'm a really big believer. A lot of my consulting clients have done this in the past that you really need to have just a, a business card size marketing piece mm-hmm. or even a third page card stock. You know, mm-hmm. one-sided, real nicely designed, and it just explains the not the uh, the the dual pricing and why you're doing it, and the fact that it's not it's not you attempting to cover your payment processing fees, it's you trying to present a more of a fair, a fair uh, process approach. And and if you're still in your mind, if you're still thinking of it, so when you're pitching the business owner, if you're still pitching it as you know, trick your customers into paying your processing fees, um, that doesn't resonate the way that you might think it is. The, the best way to do it is to say, look your customers are already paying your processing fees. They're paying it in terms of, of pricing. Right. What's the right way to do it? What's the fair way to do it? Well, probably the people that are getting the benefit should be the ones paying the higher price. Let's right. make that transparent and clear. So talk to the business owner about that and make sure they are coming at it with their team, with their staff. They need to be coming at it from a positive place, not a negative place. Right, right. You know, then make sure that you are providing them with the materials they need. So when somebody does ask a question, they can say, oh, I'm so glad you asked that. We're actually really excited about this program because of how much more transparent and fair it is to our customers. Right. Here is a little, you know, third page document. Here's a little slick. Here's a little business card that explains the program. And yeah. if you do that, I'm telling you, you know, the the compliance stuff, you're already, you know, if you're doing it right, you know, you're, you're in good standing. But then if you have this, you know, then the merchants are going to have a great experience. And so encourage them to talk to their team. The, the Where I see the biggest issue is merchants will have a really negative experience if they are approaching it from a negative mindset. Sure. And and they go to their team and say, hey, everybody, uh, we're doing this new program. We're basically, we're, we're not going to pay processing fees anymore. We're going to pass it on to our customer. Yeah, yeah. That's if, that's, yeah. If, if that's the conversation, yeah, you're going to have problems.
but if the conversation thing. is, you yeah. know, we want to get, we, we have to do a price increase because these costs keep going up, but we want to implement a fair price increase that's transparent. And so we're going to differentiate our pricing for people to pay with a card versus people that pay with cash. If that's the message and that's what's be- the belief, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I agree. Thank you, James. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Okay, so James, you know, the uh, I thought I'd start off uh, this February with some news from the Federal Trade Commission. Uh, they're taking MasterCard to task over allegations that it blocks merchants from routing e-commerce debit card payments over competing right. networks. Yep, I saw this. Now you'll recall, we've talked about this. It's a hot button issue, you know, yep. um, the, the routing thing. And, you know, with both the Department of Justice and the FTC last year, um, it was said that they had been were investigating the card brands over major issue and major issues, excuse me, over uh, debit routing policies. Um, that disadvantage the regional EFT networks, you know, like Nice and Shazam. The Fed took a stand last year, updating its interpretation of the Dur- Durban Amendment um, dictates to ensure that network choice is given for online debit as well as for card present debit card payments. So in a complaint that was made public in the final days of 2022, the FTC charged MasterCard with violating the EFT Act as well as the Durbin Amendment um, in in terms of not giving merchants debit card processing choices. Right, yeah. Now it's it's interesting because, you know, last year um, it was the the FTC, was said to be investigating both Visa and MasterCard. Right. Um, I asked the FTC about the investigation of Visa. Where does it stand? They didn't respond. You know, and I wasn't the only one. I read some other reporting, and they're yeah, like, FTC sure. failed to respond. But yeah. uh, Doug Cantor, who's of the uh, National Association of Convenience Stores, um, in an interview with Forbes, said that MasterCard had been quote particularly egregious. In uh, in preventing merchants from doubt, uh, from routing debit card payments through competing networks, now the FTC order it said that Mastercard was flouting the law um, with policies that block block routing through its tokenization process. Right, that it was to- you know Mastercard tokenizes customer account and transaction information um, to be sent over its network. It was refusing to de-tokenize that information yep. for competing networks. Um, and it, the FTC complaint specifically addresses MasterCard's refusal to provide um, conversion services for um, e-wallets, but uh, said the order applies to all e-commerce debit card payments. Yeah, And the order also bans MasterCard from taking any action to prevent competitors from providing their own token services. Right. Or to offer tokens on MasterCard branded networks. Um, if it fails to uh, uphold this, you know, any violations subject to about a fine of, doesn't sound like much, 46500 I'm really 
curious as to where that number came from. But, I know, right? Uh, when I, right? When I saw that like, number, I'm like, oh my, that's like the cheapest thing MasterCard's going to spend. Yeah, I mean, what difference is it? I mean, you know, right. that's like that's like a luncheon for their staff, right? Right. Um, yeah. So um, yeah. anyway, MasterCard, you know, defended its routing practices, but said it would abide by terms of the agreement. Um, you know, I'll tell you, Patty, the, the thing about, the, I read it as well, and, you know, I got to tell you, this whole thing, I mean, I'm just really, uh, for once in my life, just really on the side of the card brands. I mean, frankly, this is ridiculous. The government is basically saying you know, th th there is no well-established, secure way to de-tokenize cardholder information and share it with a third party. Yeah. And yeah. why would there be? Why I mean, would that you is... want to? I mean, that's that's what blows my mind. Why would you even want to detokenize it for a third right. party? Because well, you, that you defeats wouldn't. the purpose of tokenization. Yeah, and so the whole like idea behind it is the government is uh, the way I thought of it is it's interesting. It's like the government is trying to regulate innovation, and they're trying to say we are requiring we are we are regulating that a new technology be created that doesn't exist. You, you, you know, that's interesting. I hadn't really looked at it that way, but that, that but that is, you know, you can't do you that there. You right. can't, you know what I mean? It, it would be, it, to me, it's almost like, it's almost like the government coming out and saying, uh, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to demand that 20% of all travel be done using drones. Right. Well, we don't have drones here that fly people like right. you can't just regulate the, So basically what they're going to do, and this is, if you remember in my insights for 2023, my extra point was this wild card that's happening with government that's going to mess mm -hmm. up our ecosystem. Right. This is exactly what I'm talking about. You know, think about this for a second. What possible incentive does MasterCard have at this point to ensure that this handoff of detokenized, which is a word that is almost an oxymoron, right? To make sure this detokenized cardholder data is handled securely by third parties. They almost right. have a disincentive. Like, it would be great for them if they did that and there was and a then, huge breach. The, yeah, the proverbial poop hits the fan, right. Yeah, and then uh -huh. they would say, well, yeah, exactly. You asked us to detokenize sensitive information, which we did because you're idiots. So, right. But the other part that that kind of, you know, makes my mind kind of hurt, my brain kind of hurt, is the idea that, okay, so if the car, if these third parties want to create a tokenization service that can be used on MasterCard's network, MasterCard has to say, okay, well, what about the quality control that goes into right. the creation of those types of services? It's just ridiculous. And so I mean, it's it, like it, you say, I mean, it's like they don't even, you know, it's like create a new, a new technology. Uh, it sounds to me like create new vulnerabilities. Well, exactly. Well, in other words, you either have to accept existing vulnerabilities or create new technology. And, you can't accept the vulnerabilities, right? So I, if you ask me what this is going to end up, I was thinking about it and I'm like, okay, what's going to happen, right? This right. is my prediction. Uh, we'll okay. see. I give you way off. This is my prediction. You're going to see MasterCard and Visa. They're going to work together on this. I think, my, my opinion, uh, maybe they'll do it separately. I don't know. But you're going to see a service come out that's going to be the detokenize, whatever, the, the service of now the new technology to handle tokens by a third party. And it's going to be like, two cents a transaction, three cents a transaction. And they're going to actually make more money 
by detokenizing and sharing it than they would if they ran the transaction themselves. You know, that's really kind of interesting, James. If that's not what they're thinking, they should hire me as a consultant. I could explain that's right. to them. <laughs> they, you know, I'm talking to people at the card brand, so you never know. We but, know that we have people, we know that we we know that people that work at the card brands listen. So if you heard that, think there about it. There you go. But they really should. And I mean, to me, that I love that idea because it'd be such a smack in the face to the regulators, which in this case need to be smacked in the face, in my opinion, of saying, you know what, if you want us to do this, we're not willing to, we're not willing to put at risk the hundreds of millions of cardholders who trust us with their data. So if you want us to share it, okay, fine. We'll make an API that is totally secure, that we believe in, that we manage so third parties can run transactions. Oh, and of course we're gonna have a fee for that service. Be great. So anyway, that's my yeah, prediction. Yeah, that'd be week. interesting. We'll have, to, we'll have to watch and keep tabs on that. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.